0: In the fall, on football fields across America, whether it's high school or college or professional, once the clock strikes zero, ending the third quarter, you will see hands go up like this. They'll be holding up those four fingers, representing this. There's only 15 minutes left. Everything that you've worked for, everything you have trained for, everything we have talked about, everything we have practiced, now is the time. Stop being distracted by the fans in the stands. Stop goofing off on the sidelines. Stop thinking about what you want to do when the game ends. No We need maximum effort. We need maximum energy. Because when the clock strikes zero again, the game, it's going to be over. The fourth quarter is very important. Peter would tell us in essence, as we looked at even last week, we are in god's fourth quarter as he wrote there in first peter 4 and verse 7 the beginning of it the end of all things is at hand we are living in the fourth quarter and when the clock strikes zero whether it be on your individual life or the lord's return either way the game will be over and so with that in mind Peter wants to make sure that we as his children, as we're striving to be the misfits he's called us to be, that we're living this life, we're living this fourth quarter with a certain sense of urgency. That we understand how important this time is as the end draws near. But do we always live with that urgency? Do we always live with the end in mind? Usually not. Like if we're just being really honest, usually the end is the last thing we want to think about. Even if we're thinking about a faithful child of God's going from this life to the next like our brother Mike's. We don't like thinking about it. It makes us uncomfortable. And typically, we live this life thinking we have what? All the time in the world. I got time. I got time to, to get my life right. I got time to live how I want to live. I got time to, to come back to God. I got time. but you don't know that. You're not promised that. Your end, whether you like it or not, your end is much closer today than it even was yesterday. That's how life works. That's how time progresses. With each day, we are alive. We are one day closer to death. So you see, typically, unless you've had a near-death experience, you don't live with the end in mind the way that you should. And so Peter wants to make sure that we underline this, that we understand this. The end of things is at hand. It is, it is near. And because it's near church, It's the fourth quarter. Peter says, here's some things I want you to remember about how you need to be living your life from day to day. So Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's going to give us some priorities that we need to to hold very near and dear in our life as we prepare for the end, as we live the way God has called us to live. And the first priority that we see is prayer. We need to be a prayerful people we need to be a people who are, who are utilizing this, this most blessed avenue of conversation that we have with the Creator of all things. I've just been giving you the first part of that verse in 1 Peter. There in 1 Peter 4 and verse 7. There's the whole verse. Peter says, "...the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers." be self control some translations there will say be alert be sober minded why for the sake of your for the sake of your prayer life i can't help but wonder if as peter wrote this by the inspiration of the holy spirit i can't help but wonder if his mind may have gone back to another time in his own personal life when he was right there with jesus as Jesus was literally in the fourth quarter of His life here on earth, and Peter really dropped the ball. I'm sure you remember the time I'm talking about there in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to go back and read it for you. It's not on the screen, but you can see the text I'm reading. is Mark 14, there beginning in verse 32. It says, "...they went to a place called Gethsemane, and He said to His disciples, "'Sit here while I pray.'" And He took with Him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And when He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Going a little farther, He fell on the ground and He prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from Him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from Me. Yet not what I will, but what You will. And He came and He found them sleeping. And He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. You see, wanting to make sure that we didn't make the same mistake that he himself had made, Peter would write those very precious words be self controlled, be sober minded, be alert, be awake. Understand how serious prayer is. Understand how serious the time that you're living in is. And that now is not a time to be consumed by the materialism of this world. And that now is not a time to be distracted by your own personal fears of what may come. Now is a time to have focused communication with God. And isn't that an amazing thing that we have? To have focused communication with God again the end is nearer right now than it ever has been so how's your prayer life specifically what do you pray about you see spending time with God in prayer that should be a part of our daily life should it not i mean it should just be a natural thing for a child of god that that over time we develop this this beautiful spiritual discipline called prayer where we just have this like ongoing conversation with god with our heavenly father absolutely amazing what a a great blessing that it is but sometimes the question will arise what do i pray about and what's the easy answer everything Right? I mean, like, when, when it comes to what do you pray about, you, you pray about everything. Of course you do, okay? But, maybe knowing that the end is near, maybe we should uh, sometimes reprioritize our prayer list. Let's say. Let's say, for example, that maybe over the past couple of weeks you've been praying for your great aunt very diligently because she has a broke toe and you really want that broke toe to heal. Or maybe you've been praying about your own personal job situation. There's a promotion within your job that you would really like to get and you've been praying very diligently about that. Both of those things, good things to pray for. Both of those things, they're things you should be praying for. However, if the big clock strikes zero... what does your great aunt's broke toe really matter? What does that promotion within your job really matter? Because if your great aunt is a child of God's, guess what? Perfect toe. (laughs) Toe's been fixed. She's in heaven. And if you're a faithful child of God's, guess what? All of a sudden, you're in heaven with all of the the wonder and the majesty that God has to present before you. And so suddenly that promotion in your job doesn't seem quite as... uh, maybe important or significant as it once did. So what do we do? We pray, and we pray about everything. But maybe we begin to tweak our prayers a little bit and reprioritize understanding that the things that should really take precedent aren't necessarily the things that are going to impact this life, but the next. That those are the things that should really be at the top of our prayer list. And and we work our way down. What what really impacts the next life? Well, you know, the neighbor or the friend of yours that doesn't know Jesus, they really need to be prayed for. Or that brother in Christ who just has an unforgiving spirit and just can't seem seem to shake it, man, he he really needs your prayers. Or, Or any one of us who struggle with any number of sins that have a very tight grip on us, we need your prayers you see, those are the things that are going to impact not just here, but there. <laughs> and so we need to make sure that we're kind of reprioritizing our prayer list so that we're praying for those things that have a, an eternal impact. Because the time is short, the time is near. You're in the fourth quarter, church. And so, because you're in the fourth quarter, you need to make sure that your prayer life is strong, but you also need to make sure that you are what? Loving one another. Going back to our text, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all. Above all. (laughs) Priority number one. This takes precedence over everything else that I'm about to tell you. You make sure that you continue to love one another earnestly. Now what does that mean? That means you, you love each other even when it hurts to love, man. You, you stretch to your limits. We talked about that a few weeks ago. This word earnestly means that you stretch yourself to love those who may be kind of challenging to love at times because let's face it, not all of us are always very lovable people. That's just the reality of life. And so sometimes we have to put forth a little bit more effort to love one another the way that we know God wants us to and the way that God loves us. Now, how does God love us? Well, God loves us with this beautiful Greek word here called agape. Man, agape is a powerful thing. That's this Greek word for love. Now what does agape mean? Agape means love is about choice. It is about action. It is not about feelings. And that's where we tend to miss the mark. That, that is where we tend to really struggle. Because what do we say? I don't feel like loving them. Well, God says... The love he has for us, the love that he displayed on the cross through Jesus, that love is a choice. Jesus never said, I can't wait to go to the cross. I went to the cross because I just loved him so much, I felt like going. Jesus said, as we read just a moment ago, Father, take this cup from me, but not your will, not my will, but yours be done. That was a choice. That wasn't feelings. We get them reversed. We tend to think, well, I've got to feel like I love somebody so I can choose to act like I love somebody. No, that's backwards. First, you choose. You act as though you love someone. Then those feelings feelings will develop. And so that's how you love someone earnestly is you make the choice. You put forth the effort to love even when loving somebody else isn't an easy thing to do. Even when loving somebody else isn't a fun thing to do. Because again, none of us, none of us are always lovable. None of us are always likable. But thankfully, thankfully, God has demonstrated His love for us in the most powerful of ways. And He has shown us exactly what that love is supposed to look like that we have one for another. And why is this so important? Well, going to the latter part of the text here, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, does that mean that whenever someone sins, that we should just sweep it under the rug and act like the sin did not happen? No. No, he's not saying that we turn a blind eye to holding people accountable for the wrong that they do. But loving, loving is being someone who is willing to forgive and having a a ready heart of forgiveness. Peter was very close to Jesus. Peter had seen a lot within Jesus. He knew that Jesus didn't just turn a blind eye to sin and injustice. He knew that oftentimes, holding someone accountable for the wrong they committed, that choice, that choice was actually the very most loving thing that could be done for someone. But he also knew how important that it is for our relationships with one another, and more importantly, our relationship with God, that we be a people who readily forgive. And we also need to be a people in that who are ready to extend grace, the same grace that God has given us. What does it look like whenever you extend grace to someone that you feel has wronged you? Well, it means that Private conversation, stay private. It means that you talk to someone about the way they've hurt you in private without airing that for all the public to see or to hear about. It It, it means that, that you're someone who is not going to, to hold the hurt that someone has caused you over their head for like an extended amount of time trying to like manipulate them and get your way with them because they hurt you and you don't want them to ever forget it. And that's not grace. Grace is being willing to like actually let it go and not hold it over them any longer uh, grace is is someone who is willing to patiently put up with all of our quirks and shortcomings we all have irritating things about us right <laughs> and, and and grace is that which says i'm not going to confront you over every little thing you do that annoys me or gets on my nerves i'm, I'm just going to realize i got some annoying quirks in my life too And you know what we find? We find when we become a more forgiving person, a more grace-centered person, we find that a lot of the conflicts that we do have in this life, because we still have them, they don't last nearly as long because we're able to move past those things. We're able to move forward instead of continuing to hold on to the past as though it just recently occurred. When we live that way, Going to make an impact, great impact, on the lives of many. Another thing that Peter's going to tell us here is you're in the fourth quarter, church, you need to be showing hospitality. He says, showing hospitality to one another. There in 1 Peter 4, verse 9. Now, for the first century church, those, those, those misfits, those who were being persecuted, you know what they didn't have? They didn't have this, this amazing blessing that you and I have, this thing we call a church building. <laughs> they didn't have that. They, they didn't have a place that they could just all come together uh, safely and warmly. And they, they just knew they could all come together and be together as the church in this big building. And, and they could worship in freedom. They didn't have that. So a lot of times what they had to do for fear of persecution, when they came together, it had to be in much smaller groups, and those smaller groups were going to be in somebody's home. And and so when they came together in somebody's home, that meant somebody had to open up their house. (laughs) That meant somebody had to be willing to show hospitality. So it may have been opening up one's home for a worship service. It may have been actually housing a traveling preacher as he passed through town. It may have been uh, housing Christians who needed a place to stay. It may have even been Christians they didn't even know who who were on the run and looking for safety from the persecution they were facing. And they still they housed these people and they kept them safe. That was hospitality. And hospitality is trying and hospitality can be expensive and it can definitely be tiring. But it was the expectation that followers of Jesus had And based on our text, I I can't see any reason why it doesn't continue to be an expectation that God has for all of us even today. Having one's friends over for supper occasionally. That's a good start. It's a very good start. But we can all do better. We can all do more than that. The word hospitality actually means having a love for strangers. (laughs) So then hospitality is the ministry of using that which God has given you, which is your home, using your home in a way that ministers to other people, whether they be friend or or even stranger. And hospitality is not easy work. It, it means that you have to clean before. It means you clean after. It, it means that people who come to your house, they oftentimes leave it in a, in a much worse condition than they certainly found it. And, and, and I know just thinking about that stress uh, of showing hospitality, man, you just go, oh! I don't want to do that! Okay, but notice what Peter continues to write by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do it how? Without grumbling. Show hospitality without complaining about it. Why? Because you love people. Remember? That was the previous verse. Because you have love for people, you're willing to open up your house and your home. You're willing to show hospitality to those who are in need. And this is a habit that we definitely need to get back to as a church. Because listen, if anything, if we allowed Satan to rob us of anything through COVID and the years that have followed, it has been the practice of hospitality. Because we have become so afraid... Of opening up our homes and opening up our hearts to other people. We need to get to a point where new members are welcomed back into our home. We need to get to a point where, where people, visitors, are, are once again taken out to lunch. We, we need to get back in the habit of this beautiful, beautiful virtue. And, and again, I know <laughs> that when we talk about it or think about it, there's things that start going through our head, right? Whispers. And and usually the whispers are something like this. My house isn't big enough. My house isn't nice enough. My house isn't decorated well. Or maybe it's the other extreme. My house is too nice and I don't want people breaking stuff in my house. Or or maybe it's I, I can't afford to be hospitable right now. Or, or, or maybe, I mean, it could be like any number of things, any number of whispers that we hear to discourage us from opening up our homes and our hearts to one another and to others. But you know where that's coming from, right? That's coming from Satan. So that he can discourage us from doing the work of God. So that he can discourage us from, from being a part of the fourth quarter and doing what God has called us to do While we are still here. When I think of hospitality, man, I think of Norman and Joyce Flynn. You talk about living examples of what it means to be hospitable, what it means to open up one's home and one's heart. And of course, in the years they were with us, they did this on numerous occasions. I actually, I thought about just asking for a show of hands of how many people were welcomed into their home at some point. But I'm afraid there's going to be so many of us that were and some of you that weren't, and then you're going to get mad that you weren't. But, but there were a lot of us that through the years were welcomed into their homes on various, various occasions. And you know what? They never lived in a mansion. Their, their house was never just like over the top. It was always clean. It was always presentable. But more than the, the condition of the home, it, it was the warmth. It was the Spirit of God. It was leaving there feeling loved and feeling accepted and knowing you had family. And, and listen church, here's the thing. I don't want you to feel like we're special because they did that <laughs> here while they were with us. They had that reputation when they were in Africa too. They have that reputation even now in Florence since they left up here and continued living in Florence. Of course, our dear sister Joyce has passed, but these are two people we could all learn from. Two people who understood what it meant to truly be hospitable. Now, let me also say, don't get hospitality confused with entertaining. Hospitality and entertaining are not the same. Sometimes we get them mixed up, okay? Entertaining is when your motive is you can't wait to show your house off. You, you can't wait to have people into your home so they can see your house and see your stuff and, and tell you what a nice house you have and tell you what a nice host or hostess you've been. and That's entertaining. Being hospitable you know that the home you have is a gift from God. And because you understand that and you're a good steward of that's so what He's given you, you want to open your home and your heart to anyone that you can. You're not trying to impress. You're just trying to do what God has told you to do. You have the heart of a servant. The Flynn's were never trying to entertain us. <laughs> they were being hospitable. And there's a big difference between the two. And I think when we begin to understand that and we begin to grow beyond the idea of entertaining someone, that's when suddenly a lot of those questions, we don't have them nearly as much. We're not nearly as concerned about what they may think or or what our house looks like because that's not why we're having them over. We're having them over because we're just trying to open our house and our heart to show hospitality the way God has called us to show hospitality. One final priority that we see here is a need to use our gifts in a way that benefit and bless other people. Going back to verse 10. He says that each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Church, you do not have to wait until somebody asks you to be a part of something. You don't have to sit in a pew and say, I really want to be doing something, but nobody's ever come to me. Nobody's ever asked me to do Don't don't do that. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Okay? Don't sit there and wait. Why? Because God has equipped you. God has already given you talents. He's given you a personality. He has given you opportunities to use the gifts He has given you in a way that glorify Him. So you you find those opportunities to serve. You find those opportunities to use the gifts that God has given you. Because I look around this auditorium and I don't see individuals with barely one gift. (laughs) I see individuals with many gifts. Many, many gifts that can be used for the glory of God. It's just a matter of using them. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we do decide to use our gifts for the glory of God, an impact will be made. A difference will be made. Whether we can see it or recognize it or not is irrelevant. Are we using the talents and the gifts that God has given us in a way that it glorifies Him? If so, we're making a huge difference in this life. But we have to make sure that we're using that which God has given us in a way that it pleases Him. And that is we're using the gifts that He's given us to serve one another and even to serve those we don't know. And that as we're doing those things, we're not doing them for our own praise. We're not not doing them so that that one another or even those outside of Christ will pat us on the back and say, good job, keep it up. No, we're doing it because ultimately what we know and understand is this is the will of God. He wants me to serve. He, he wants me to use that which He's given me in a way that He's glorified in my life. So, the end is near, according to 1 Peter 4.7. And, and because the end is near, it's the fourth quarter. So time is running out. As time is running out, will you make a decision today to say, you know what? I, I want to make sure that my prayer life is as it needs to be. I want to make sure that I'm, 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 ex- I'm just exerting myself to love other people the way that God wants me to love and the way that I've been loved. I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm opening up my home and my, my heart to those who are around me. I, I want to make sure that I'm using the, the talents that God has given me in a way that it glorifies Him and know that that's going to bring And make a great impact in the lives of others. Not for me, but for Him. The end is at hand. You're in the fourth quarter, church. Are you living as He's called you to live? And if not, why not? What is it that's that's keeping you from it? What is it that's keeping you from being the misfit that you've been called to be? Remember, the whole point of this sermon series is to finally come to that understanding and appreciation we were never meant to fit in. We were never meant to be like everybody else. We were never meant to blend in with the world around us. We were meant to be misfits. We were meant to be outcasts. We were meant to be unique. We were meant to be separate. We were meant to be holy. And a part of living a, a holy life prayer, love, hospitality, using my gifts. <laughs> That's a part of living a holy life. A life God has called us to live. A life not like the world around us. Maybe you've never given your life to God. Maybe maybe you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Listen, I want you to know the water is ready today if you are. If you are ready to reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you can do that today. And you know what's going to be amazing? You're going to come up out of the water and you're going to know that by the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus, you're going to be forgiven of all your past sins, that the burden of all those past sins will be removed by the power of God, and you're going to know that you've been added to the body of Christ. But to be added to the body of Christ, that also means you're going to be taken out of the world around you. So you're going to be a misfit. That's right. Not really today's lesson, but I still want to mention and that may be a part of obeying the gospel. We don't always spend enough time on is counting the cost. We want to talk about forgiveness and salvation, but we don't always take the time to talk about what that really means. That if you obey the gospel of Christ, if you strive to live for Jesus, you're not going to continue to be like the world around you. You're making a decision to live a life completely different because you understand. You understand how God has called you to live. You understand the promises that He's made. You accept that. I don't know, maybe that's something going on in your life or maybe anything else, any number of things. We can help you today. once not you come always stand and sing.